to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of this week's DWZU. That's right, the Dynasty Warzone Rookie Rundown. It is a special episode. If you have been following along to this series of first-year forecasting, we have our very first episode of me living up to my word, basically. Um, anyone that is in the DWZ Patreon knows that I put a couple of little fun little competitions throughout the offseason thus far when it came to guessing certain rookie profiles, um, certain people I was going to talk about on some of my earlier episodes. And the man today before me on StreamYard and coming into your ear holes is Mr. Brian. Uh, we are going to be talking about his you know, bread and butter division here. He is a diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. So we are going to be talking about the AFC North. Brian, tell the people how you are. Tell them who you are and where they can find you. Hey, Dallas. I'm good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Brian Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at Brian at Brian Smith 33. Um, and yeah, huge Ravens fan. Live out just outside of Baltimore, near the stadiums. Born and bred here. And um, huge football fan, baseball fan, fast pitch softball fan. Um, <laughs> and that's about how I spend my leisure time in and around those sports. So happy to happy to be chatting Ravens and the rest of the AFC North. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely the uh, the blue blood division, you know, that black and blue division of uh, old timey. It's the only one really, honestly, in the NFL that's left that kind of feels physical ever since the uh, Legion of Boom fizzled out in the NFC West. You guys pretty much have it locked down for always having consistent defensive play throughout the teams of at least two or three, if not four. Um, and now you have a couple of high-flying offenses with some new, you know, Fun schemes kind of bouncing around. Uh, also, just so the people know, are you an Orioles fan? Oh, huge Orioles fan. Uh, I'm sorry, man. It sucks. I'm a Royals fan, too, because I'm <laughs> from KC, and it's just pain constantly. We're just always in pain here. Uh, but, yeah, no, so it's an interesting division um, for those of you that are just now joining the series. And for those of you that have been listening, to. we're just going to do a quick recap of what we've basically been doing. Uh, the segment is named aptly first year forecasting. We're going to be looking specifically at the rookies of note, both that were drafted by each of the AFC North teams, as well as that were brought in as UDFAs for a couple of these guys that you should probably be keeping your eyes on. And we're going to give you realistic expectations from a biased position in Mr. Brian's case. And from a kind of side note of me, you know, not really loving a lot of these rookie landing spots specifically for this division. Um, there are two guys that I'm very intrigued about. Um, but for those of you also following along, last week's episode where we were covering a division of pretty much no change in the NFC West, we are going into the AFC North where it's kind of the same thing. There's not a lot of new kind of blood poured into a lot of these teams outside of one specific team that looks entirely different than what it did last year. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how some of these offenses kind of find their footing early on in the season. And the first team to talk about was the team that beat the Kansas City Chiefs in route to a Super Bowl appearance and a 
sad loss for many in the Cincinnati Bengals. They ended up surprising the world, shocking and awing with a 10-7 victory of the AFC North with arguably, in my opinion, it you probably know a little bit better than I do, but it felt like the lowest win totals for most of the teams in the division that I had seen in a long time. Typically, you always see the Browns in the basement dweller, but everyone was within two games of each other, and no one had more than 10 wins, which just kind of felt odd when you were looking at the teams. Yeah, everybody was jam-packed in. I mean, the Ravens were out in front big time, and then the injuries just caught up with us, Lamar being out, and everybody just came back to the pack one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. When we get to Baltimore, I mean, there's a reason they ended up, unfortunately, in the basement of the division. Um, There's a reason that some of the stats look the way that they do, and it's because they weren't really fielding a team last year of true starting caliber NFL players for a majority of the season, at least on offense. Uh, For those of you IDP players out there, they still had some ballers on that side of the field. But the Cincinnati Bengals, pretty much all status quo, um, still have Brian Callahan. He has been the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals since they brought in Joe Burrow in his rookie year in 2019. With that system last year, they were the 19th heaviest run team, meaning, obviously, they were pushing for top 10 for the past game percentages on a week-in, week-out basis. No shocker when you have the offensive firepower that they have. Having Tyler Boyd as a wide receiver three is usually usually a situation that most teams would be drooling about. But when you look at them, their status quo quarterback as well, Joe Burrow, somehow made it through the entire season healthy again last year, even though he was sacked 70 times. Uh, just wild stats going on with that offensive line. They've pretty much spent all offseason only addressing the offensive line where they've kept all their players in tow outside of that position group and just trying to fix the issue. They only have 72 vacated targets and a large majority of those came with the shipping off of the kind of the fledgling tight end on the team in CJ Uzoma, who finally had a breakout season for any of you that were paying it long, uh, paying attention and playing along with the tight end roulette game last year with me and Kyle. He was a fan favorite of mine, but <clears throat> most of the targets that were vacated on the team are coming from the tight end position. They only actually had two vacated carries on the entire team. And I believe that was also from a tight end position. So uh, you're looking at the team. They only lost CJ Uzoma and then they actually lost someone that kind of matters for some of the red zone packages in an odd and Tate. Um, he was getting quite a bit of work on the team as that wide receiver for spelling the situations where they needed to give T Higgins a break in between the twenties and then almost always being on the field for red zone packages. So that is a position of need as the big bodied wide receiver on the team in general. But unfortunately their draft selections, none of them were offensive weapons. Like I said, they don't really have any spots to truly fill on the team. So they spent most of their picks on defensive players and showing up that offensive line. Uh, When you look at the UDFAs of note for me, The only one that I'm truly interested in is Javon Hiley. He's a wide receiver out of Coastal Carolina. Um, He's coming in. He's six foot two, 200 pounds, slow as molasses. That's the reason why you don't really want to like him. Um, He's slow. He looked fast at the Coastal Carolina level of football. Um, But obviously when he runs that 4-7-40, it's a little bit concerning for a guy that's not like a towering, lunky wide receiver. But his ability to separate as a large slot is where he was eating at it. And he's coming off of two back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons with an over 30% target rate at the wide receiver position meaning he was getting 30% of the team targets, third total of the share, and he had 17 total receiving touchdowns of the last two years. So he's just a guy that I'm looking forward to. But when you're looking at Cincinnati, it's pretty much status quo. Do you have any notes, any 
person that you're truly intrigued about? Or how do you feel about the quote unquote division leaders from last year? Yeah, well, you know, the one the one time division <laughs> leaders. We'll we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I wasn't thrilled to see the Bengals bulking up on the offensive line. Like you said, they have good enough talent at the receiver and with Burrow that presumably he'll get better protection. Will his stats be better? I doubt it. I mean, just reading some stuff this week about how crazy outlier some of his passing stats were, especially down the field last year. So while he was unlucky in the, you know, sacks and pass protection, he was very fortunate in the passing game, especially downfield. So I'd say that's likely to regress, um, even though I'm sure Chase and Higgins and Boyd will have strong years. I just don't know how much better Mixon can get than he did last year, even with that bad O-line, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm in the exact same boat with Mixon. When I'm looking at people that I'm concerned about, that people are kind of feeling comfortable about, um, our compatriots here on the DWZ on this week's episode, oh, sorry, not this week, last week's episode, uh, chatted about Joe Mixon as kind of their guy that they're okay and comfortable with out of that 20, um, 2017 draft class i think 2017 2018 draft class um you're looking at all of them they're all 26 about to turn 27 joe mixon gets i guess an improvement above them just due to the lack of actual workload that he's had but the reason he hasn't had a workload is because he's been injured his entire career and then hasn't seen the passing game work until last year but i think you're right last year was pretty much the peak um, I only owned one share of Joe Mixon out of all of my leagues, and I sold him immediately following this season. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of in the same boat on that one. Um, he's a guy that, yeah, we see it for one year, and we've been waiting for a long time. But now I have a feeling that a lot of people are starting to lean towards, oh, well, this should be the trend, when in all reality, this is the outlier season that we've seen from him across his entire career. So it's just something to kind of take note of. Um, the team – in general, though, has a lot of mouths to feed. And honestly, I think the Joe Burrow hype is probably a little overblown. I I, I don't see him as a top 12 dynasty quarterback, which is kind of mm. hot taking to a lot of people. But when it comes from like a fundamental standpoint of athleticism, he has pretty much nothing right now. There was some escapability that he was forced into due to how bad his offensive line is, but he's not a runner. And he's still running around with that lunking knee brace even going into this year. So... Um, yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you on the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't see them actually winning the division again going sure, into sure. next year. Um, there was quite a few injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I know we won't chat a lot about that, but that also there's uh, a looming Jesse Bates sit out because they franchised him and he's basically refusing to come to anything or play on the franchise mm-hmm. tag. So if they don't sign him, uh, it, it'll be interesting. And then you have Logan Wilson, who's coming off of a pretty serious shoulder and collarbone injury where I think he had some actual like labrum tear issues going on with that in the playoffs. So middle linebackers, a question safety is a question. Uh, Their corners already weren't that great because they were relying on Eli Apple. So when you're looking at them as a whole, I don't really see them repeating as a division champ next year. Yeah. And if you're looking for value at all on the offensive side, I mean, the only two names I can come up with anywhere close are deep, deep, deep stashes of Chris Evans Mm -hmm. and Hayden Hurst. I mean, Evans only because Mixon's injury history and he's just, you know, super athletic guy coming into year two. Maybe he's, you know, figured out some things and Hayden Hurst, a lot of mouths to feed and the pass catchers, but he's the only tight end that's going to get a pass there in his way. All that's left is sample besides him, right? With Uzoma out. So 
He made yeah, it. Exactly. And that red zone package is where a large majority of Uzoma's eight touchdowns from last year came. So Joe Burrow does have a comfortability throwing towards the middle of the field when you get into the red zone. Um, it's just kind of how it works with this team and with this offense. So I think that's a really smart advice for the people out there is that Hayden Hurst might be the best value on the team that you're going to go at for. And then there's also the question of some looming contracts going into next year, where are they going to be able to re-sign T Higgins after his rookie contract? Probably not. Cause guess what? They're going to have to pay Joe Burrow the same year and then follow it up with Jamar chase contract the year following. So <laughs> There's a lot going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like this is a classic example of a team that kind of missed their shot when they were in position to take it. And it'll be interesting to see if they can rebound like a team like the Chiefs has been able to over the last couple of years, or if they turn into an Atlanta Falcons-esque team. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But segueing into a team that is looking quite a bit different than what it did last year and what it's looked like for the better part of about two decades we're going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they finished second in the division t- uh, with a 9-8 and eight record. They still have Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator. He's been there for the last two years. But when you're looking at a team that was basically the most pass-heavy in the entire NFL last year with a quarterback who still didn't eclipse 4,000 yards, things are going to be changing. Uh, they've ranked 31st in run rate, which is kind of shocking when you think of them just running Najee Harris into the ground. But the fact is they weren't really doing that. We just think that because of the counting stats of how inefficient Najee Harris was as a ball carrier last year because of how bad this offensive line is. Um, They are right up there with the Cincinnati Bengals and bringing in a quarterback who had to deal with a lot of offensive line issues with my Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky doesn't really seem like the option. Luckily, they drafted quite a few guys to fill some of the holes. So, like I said, they lost Big Ben, they lost Juju, they lost Ray Ray McLeod, and James Washington. The entire passing game of this offense, outside of the two namestays in Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, has completely changed to where it's going to be a lot of rookies contributing at a very early point on this team, even so potentially at the quarterback position where they drafted Kenny Pickett, as well as Chris Oladokun, who's just kind of a camp body, I would assume, more than anything. He's a very athletic guy, but just it's terrible at throwing the ball. Um, But then you're looking at George Pickens and Calvin Austin coming into this wide receiver group, a lot of upside for both of them. And at their current prices, I would be acquiring both of them. Um, I think that George Pickens's price is going to continue to skyrocket throughout this off season. You're already seeing a ton of hype coming out of camp from all the beat reporters, all the analysts. I have a feeling that's going to continue, especially due to the fact that Chase Claypool apparently considers himself as the top three wide receiver-esque category for himself. And if he thinks that now, you can tell him all you want to, but he's going to expect the money when it comes time to pay him next year. So this team's interesting. There's a lot of room for some very young players to see a lot of playing time. Um, Is there anyone that kind of catches your eyes? Where are you at with the Pittsburgh Steelers when it comes to their overall kind of makeup right now compared to what you've been experiencing over the last decade? Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, pick up on your Pickens comment. I love Pickens as well from a uh, fantasy perspective, and I've been getting him a lot, taking Mm -hmm. him usually over the Christian Watsons and the Sky Moores of the world. Um, You know, I don't think Calvin Austin is that much of a threat, at least 
year one to score a lot of fantasy points. I think he's more in the return game. But what I have been doing in a couple of best ball dynasty leagues is when I get pickings, I try to get Austin later because I might as well load up and see how those rookies pan out. Like I said, Claypool mm-hmm. might not be long for Pittsburgh. So, um, and, and they're pretty good at drafting wide receivers, unfortunately. So definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely in on that game. Um, Pickett, you know, I'm not a big fan of. And so as a Ravens fan, I was happy to see them take him instead of Malik Willis at that point, just because the upside is so different between the two, even if Pickett will be more consistent. So this year, I mean, I'm expecting it to be a mess of Trubisky and Pickett, and I don't see a lot of upside there. But, I mean, they do have weapons. So uh, between Najee and, and the receivers, you know, they need competency out of the quarterback position, maybe not. You know, they don't need a, a an all-pro necessarily, but I just don't – yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough year for them overall and a tough year at the quarterback uh, position. So, Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, we're just kind of following step-in-step, hand-in-hand on this one, but uh, the person I'm most concerned for on this team from an offensive skill position standpoint is going to be Najee Harris because the amount of check down Charlie that we got from a dying Ben Roethlisberger last year is not what you're going to be getting from two arguably decently mobile quarterbacks and Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, depending on who sees the field. Um, Yes. I understand that those utility options are very advantageous for a quarterback to take, but Najee was inefficient with all the touches. He was a counting stat monster for you in a PPR standpoint last year. And I feel like he's being boosted up quite a bit above what his actual threshold is right now with the way that this offensive line looks that they brought in a bunch of like B list celebs is how I would describe it on the offensive line. They were guys that got tossed out in free agency because we didn't really want to give them middling contracts. One of them being James Daniels, who might be the worst run blocking right guard in the league. Um, I'm, speaking from experience because I watched him every snap that he was on the Chicago bears and it was not fun. Um, plus he was dealing with injury issues, but when you're looking at the team, you have Pat Farmuth who kind of came into his own. Um, that was with a hall of fame quarterback who needed to throw short, you know, who also likes to throw short and over the middle Mitchell Trubisky, you know, who also is probably going to like doing that a rookie quarterback who needs a safety blanket over the middle. Um, those are taking targets away. You had, Ray Ray McLeod playing a very specific role in this Matt Canada offense as well last year to where he was basically what we are hoping, honestly, for Calvin Austin to be. He was kind of that firecracker, that spark plug where uh, sometimes he would be spelling Deontay Johnson when he needed a breather. A lot of times he was that move piece, that Z piece of what you see a lot in Kansas City or used to see a lot in Kansas City with a Tyreek Hill just due to the raw speed and athleticism. Um, hoping for him to explode is not going to be looking good for a lot of people and a lot of fantasy managers. Um, he could realistically have a very similar role to what a Rondell Moore had last year. But what that means is you're going to be taking those short targets away from Najee, which is why I'm not quite as high on him as consensus. Um, another UDFA of note also on the team for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jalen Warren. He was kind of a fan favorite for a lot of people as we got closer to the NFL draft. Um, kind of a one-year wonder, 5'8", 205, 4540, just average. He is the definition of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, in my opinion, at the running back position. But when you're rocking Benny Smell, uh, yeah, Benny Smell, I guess we'll stand <laughs> with that one, and Anthony McFarlane at the running back position, 
there's not a lot of huge competition stopping him from getting a roster spot or even maybe competing for touches this year at the running back position. So as a free stash, uh, if he ends up making the 53 roster, it might not be something, you know, you don't really want to do early on in this offseason period if you have that taxi squad space available post-draft. But the next team of note is, of course, the Cleveland Browns. Um, the most tumultuous and turmoil-filled organization in this offseason, without a doubt. Um, Absolutely no idea what's going on with Deshaun Watson. We're just going to leave it at that because I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Um, But they have a lot of differences compared to the rest of the teams in this division. They have 233 vacated targets. They have lost their starting quarterback Their starting wide receiver won over the last three years, that tandem of Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry, as well as their tight end one from the last three years in Austin Hooper. They've brought in Deshaun Watson, a clear upgrade over Baker Mayfield, Amari Cooper, arguably the same player as Jarvis Landry, and Jakeem Grant as a spark plug on offense as a true deep speed guy, and the person that ranked number one in both kick return yards and punt return yards for my Bears last year. Great, great, great special teams player and a great toolsy player as a deep speed guy, which is something that this team still desperately needs, even with DPJ on the roster. But when you're looking at them overall, a lot of change, and that's not even accounting for the draft picks of note, all of which could contribute immediately in Jerome Ford, David Bell, and Michael Woods to fill that deep speed role. So when you're looking at the Browns, What's your take on what they've done this offseason? Do you think it's going to be the same type of offense with a Deshaun Watson whenever he decides to actually get in and start being on the field for the Browns? Or do you think it's just going to be same old, same old, run the ball, chuck it, play action? What do you think, Brian? I, I think you're going to have to run the ball this year. I mean, I don't – I have no confidence. I know you don't want to talk about Deshaun, but I have no yeah. confidence he's going to be on the field at all. I think the risk is high that he won't play at all. And, you know, who knows what that means for next year, having sat out two full years in that example. Best case, I think he's out for half this season. And you either have Jacoby Brissett or you have some sort of patchwork reunion with Baker before he even officially leaves the team. Either way, that's awkward. It's ugly. And I love it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think they're going to have to rely on. They are so deep in running back with, um, with Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, Dernis Johnson, Dearness Johnson, um, and Jerome Ford coming in. So I think you have so much depth there. You can run them as much as you need to, and then, you know, maybe find those tight ends with Njoku coming back. Harrison Bryant, definitely one of my sleepers there between Njoku and his injury history and, you know, how things happen sometimes after you sign the big contract. So um, Bryant – to be there to help is one of the pass catching possibilities, maybe. Um, so I think it's going to be a bit patchwork and a bit ugly because I think even if Deshaun's there some, it's going to be, he's not going to be in the groove having presumably missed a good chunk of the season. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And you kind of touched on Jerome Ford a little bit. We can dive a little bit more into this rookie class if you're down for it because this yeah. is the rookie rundown. Um, looking at Jerome Ford, realistically, Depending on how the cap space works out for them, what happens with Deshaun, if they have to blow draft picks on a young quarterback next year because he ends up just getting banned for life from the NFL, who knows? Uh, When you're looking at the situation at running back for the Browns, next year they have Nick Chubb and no one else. 
No one else is underneath contract outside of Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford could realistically be the RB2 on the team next year if they decide not to waste draft picks or free agency acquisition money on that position. He's a stash for me, for sure, on a taxi squad, and you're not having to pay up for him at all in all the rookie drafts that I've been in. If you're a late drafter, as I am with a couple of other drafts coming up, he's a guy I'm going to be targeting with my fourth round pick quite often because that's where he was going in the you know prior drafts. Um, but he's a guy that has pretty much the only skill set that they don't already have on the team. He is a true one cut runner with extreme deep speed and Nick Chubb can be that, but Nick Chubb is a bruiser in and out. That's what he's meant to do. And he's just faster than the average bear. So if you give him a big lane, he's just going to run through it like Derrick Henry. So looking at Jerome Ford, I like him quite a bit. Um, how did you feel about Jerome Ford prior to the draft? Did you like him quite a bit? Did you not like him? What was yeah, I mean, I think, I think you got me on him a little bit prior to the draft, but then mm-hmm. landing in Cleveland, I wasn't so hot on him. And obviously he fell in the draft. Um, ranking the rookie draft rankings because mm-hmm. he has so many people in front of him. But to your point about, Hey, if you draft him this year, he may not contribute at all even, but then he's in that driver's seat next year. And we know Cleveland likes to use at least two running backs. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, if you can get him there um, late, later, fourth round, what have you, that's great. I haven't been able to get him much where I've been drafting and I, you know, sometimes he goes a couple picks before me and I'm just not <laughs> ready to take that plunge quite yet, but I definitely mm-hmm. agree with that take and um, think he's a good, good stash. Maybe not this year. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get any run on those tires this year. Uh, realistically, unless there's like a drastic injury to the running back room, like what happened to your Baltimore Ravens last year, then right, you could right. see him take that Tyson Williams hype train all the way to the bank basically. But um, the guy that I am the most intrigued of probably in this entire division is David Bell. Um, at the end of my final pre-draft rankings, he was sitting at wide receiver six for me. He was going into the draft from a standpoint, I was bullish on him. I compared him to Allen Robinson from the way that they play, the lack of extreme athleticism, the body comp size, the sticky hands. He then goes in the second round to the Cleveland Browns to perfectly replace Jarvis Landry, who is the big slot prototypical guy that this offense runs on from a play action standpoint. So that that's just one thing, just talking about just the fit in general, what we're hearing out of camp right now and the videos I've seen, I'm, I'm swoon. You can't convince me to get off of David Bell basically. And for all of the shares that I was able to acquire in the late second this year, it feels great. It feels great to be able to do it. Um, He was still in that same realm to where people were debating the Wandell Robinsons. They were debating the John Mechies. He was in that and distinctively behind the Christian Watsons and behind the Sky Moores. For me, I wanted him more than Christian Watson, more than Sky Moore based off of their offenses, because I think that his value is going to be higher than both of those two players going into next offseason. And I'm probably not going to be trading him because he's going to be contributing year one. Realistically, he could be the wide receiver two on this team all season and then could be the wide receiver one on the team going into next offseason if they end up cutting Amari Cooper, which is very doable with the contract that he's on right now. So I'm very bullish on David Bell right now, and I have been for quite a while. How do you feel about the man? No, I agree. I mean, I I haven't been getting him much in drafts um, because, again, again, I think it's more where I've been slotted in the drafts. Mm -hmm. I'm just missing on him. But I definitely uh, was not happy to see him go to Cleveland, since I'm a Ravens fan, um, to help reload the the wide receiver core. But definitely – 
definitely um, all, all those uh, descriptions you used on him seem seem accurate in terms of the not as athletic, but just a steady, steady Eddie, you know, going to mm-hmm. make the catches and maybe not wow anybody, but just all of a sudden he's got 94 yards. Yeah, it, it'll sneak up on you. It happens quick. That's how those uh, those big slots tend to do it. That's why we like Juju so much when he was doing it. Exact same type of aspect in the AFC North, and realistically, we could be seeing it for a while. Um, yeah, it was a gut check having to watch my Bears pass, not only on David Bell twice, but on George Pickens twice as well huh. in the second round. That was a fun time for me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> a little rough being a fan. But the guy out of Oklahoma, Michael Woods, um, He's a guy that's interesting from a deep speed standpoint. That is what his game is predicated on. He was always the true wide deep threat for the Oklahoma Lincoln Riley offense. He never truly had an explosive blow up season with Oklahoma, never had a true breakout age. That's why a lot of the analytical guys don't have, but they took him over quite a few guys still remaining in the sixth and seventh round, as well as all the UDFAs that I had ranked higher than him. So he's a guy that I'm just paying attention to, um, I think the repeated attempts to add a deep speed player on this offense, even though they have DPJ and they drafted Schwartz last year in third, I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, you're just telling me both of those guys are basically dead from a fantasy standpoint because you're just adding the exact same profile of player repeatedly every year when you're not seeing what you're wanting to see. DPJ has had the snap share to basically make the argument kind of in the same vein as Gabe Davis if Gabe Davis hadn't had that blow up game against the chiefs in the playoffs, we wouldn't be talking about Gabe Davis this year. That's how I feel personally, but in the same type of vein to where kind of forgettable, um, it's just pushing on. So he's a guy that I'm paying attention to very easily could get cut. Um, but if he ends up making the 53 being drafted to the sixth round and he starts getting sprinkled in kind of early in the season, like Schwartz was, he's probably a guy I'm going to start picking up midway through the season, just to stash, just because this, Offense is going to look very different next year. Um, and it's just something that people need to get accustomed with because I think they're going to have to change the way that they're running it based off the pieces that they are most likely going to lose. So that's just my take. The, the depth chart is just very solid, though, offensive. On paper, if Deshaun Watson, for some reason, skips any type of suspension, you have Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Amari Cooper, David Bell, and David Njoku. You have one of the most athletic cores of players and just brute force guys in the football league that we all love dearly. So it'll be interesting to see how they place in this division. But like you said, I think it's solely on the back of Watson, whether or not he plays basically, but going into your bread and butter, unfortunately the basement dweller, uh, I know the position (laughs) very well with my Chicago bears from last year. Um, When you're looking at the Baltimore Ravens, they finished at eight and nine respectable, considering, as we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, they didn't really have anyone of note. Lamar Jackson went down last year. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both messed up their knees with him like 40 minutes of each other. <laughs> like, it's just wild to see what it is. So when you look at these numbers, it's a little misleading because they were the 10th most pass-heavy offense in the league last year. And you say, that doesn't sound like the Baltimore Ravens. What, what's going on with that? It's because they had no efficiency on the ground whatsoever. And so you had Brett Hundley out there just slinging the ball and just willing my way into a playoff game on the back of Brett Hundley in a super flex league when he dropped 42 points last year. And and that's Tyler Huntley. uh, Tyler Huntley. Sorry. Huntley. I think he's in our camp right now. Actually, we brought it. We have Hundley and Huntley. 
right now. I'm like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, similar. So, uh, both athletic profiles. Just one went to UCLA and never panned out to literally anything. Um, but you're looking at the team. They have 267 vacated targets from last year. They lost pretty much all of their receiving weapons on the team last year with the trade with the Arizona Cardinals. What's more jaw-dropping as a number until you start to look into the context is the carries that were vacated. They have 325 vacated carries from the running back position from last year, and it's because the top two guys on the roster didn't see a single snap throughout the season. So it's interesting to see how it's kind of going to go, but they're both coming off of pretty serious knee injuries that happened right at the beginning of camp. So it's like, okay, you're looking at a calendar year. Yeah, that's a little bit more time, but it's been shown and proven over and over again that the lower body, like serious season-ending injuries that running backs take, it's not something you just brush off. You have Adrian Peterson, and that's pretty much the only person that's shown that they're impervious to the effects the following year. So realistically, we could see quite a bit of a split to start the season, which may hamper both of these running backs, may help you get both of them at a cost. I'm hoping Gus Edwards is completely dead to the fantasy world because the number of shares that I have of him still in a lot of my dynasty teams is a lot. But they bring in a couple of draft guys that are very intriguing, understanding how your Baltimore Ravens work. And that is Tyler Beatty at the running back position. That is Charlie Kohler at the tight end position. And then double dipping in the fourth round with Isaiah Likely as well at the tight end position. So these are three guys that I'm interested in uh, at cost. I, I think that one of these tight ends is going to become relevant next year. I just don't know which one it's going to be. My heart wants to go with Charlie Kohler because he was my tight end two prior to the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. And he was like the third tight end off the board. So it wasn't that far off, but the landing spots interesting with Mark Andrews. They're yearning for wide receiver options. So realistically likely could see a little bit more work than a guy like Kohler. But w- what's your take on these three players? Who's your favorite out of the three? Yeah. Um, it's become Isaiah likely. So mm-hmm. for the reasons that you just referenced, um, we have no wide receiver depth beyond Rashad Bateman, none. And so while you might bring in Julio Jones or even T.Y. Hilton, maybe even a Will Fuller later on, um, likely is likely, sorry, to get on the field, but he's playing behind Andrews at tight end, obviously. But he, they're talking, a lot of talk in Baltimore here about him lining up wide, running with the wide receivers some. And, you know, he at Coastal Carolina, I know, was a more field-stretching type of, of tight end who caught a lot of passes and a lot of, um, you know, touchdown passes. So I think for that reason, you know, as a tight end alone, he wouldn't be that interesting to me. But when you throw in the possibility that he could see snaps at wide receiver – then we're talking, okay, he's potentially double dip in there for, um, for more oh. productivity. I, I like Beatty as well, um, yeah. especially this year. You know, he's a sixth-round pick, right? So mm-hmm. don't get too excited. But by the same token with, like you said, J.K., Dobbins, Gus Edwards coming off of the injuries, and um, then you got Mike Davis, who I'm not excited at all about, but he could step in for Edwards if, if he wasn't ready to start the season for some reason. And then Beatty, had, you know, he's the only guy who is really a more of a pass-catching profile. I mean, J.K. Dobbins can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he's just worried about coming back from injury and getting getting to full speed. So I think Beatty could be a sneaky a sneaky pick for this year. He could also be a sneaky pick for next year because Gus Edwards has done his contract – 
it'll be it could be just J.K. Dobbins, and if Beatty does succeed, it could be him. Again, sixth round pick, so the odds are against it, but at cost, like you said, later in the drafts. And again, especially if you have Dobbins, especially if you have Gus Edwards, why not try to snatch Beatty over somebody of equal, you know, um, profile that late in the draft? So um, I like both of those. I like likely first, then Beatty, and then Kohler somewhere further down the list. And it's only because of the depth of tight end, because we do also have Nick Boyle out there who doesn't catch a lot of passes. In fact, he'll be back to a blocking tight end this year, almost exclusively trying to get back to the running game a lot more. And so he'll be out there and taking up space, even if he's not catching passes, I just don't know where um, Kohler fits in based on that. um, You know, those guys all being out there, but somebody's going to have to catch passes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, I noticed you didn't put any respect on Devin Duvernay's name during that entire little conversation you just had right there. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, I like Duvernay, but he's very much of a um, a role player, a bit player, yeah. as opposed to he's he's not going to be he's not going to be catching nine hundred yards worth of passes. So he's going to be out there. If he's a third or fourth wide receiver, I like him a lot. Right now, they're mm-hmm. saying he's number two wide receiver. I don't think that works. Um, and I don't I don't think Prochet works either. He's getting a little more hype this preseason. He got a little more hype last preseason and basically did nothing except for a few isolated catches. So I just don't I guess I don't buy it that those two are going to be, you know, some big top producers. Yeah, the way I see Devin Duvernay is he has the exact same athletic profile and the true like production profile of what we've seen from Byron Pringle when he was in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, they will make the expl- explosive slot plays and they will make the occasional play where like, oh, wow, we should probably get him some more snaps because I've seen that from Duvernay in a Baltimore Ravens offense. He can be productive, but you have to funnel in catches, and that's not what you want to do with this player pool that you guys are working with. So I agree with that one. James Prochet is literally a worse athletic profile version of Miles Boykin, who they refuse to use regardless of how many times we're all screaming for Miles Boykin to get work. So I, I don't like Prochet at all. Um, I'm just looking at the team. I, I like Beatty. It's, it's really hard as I'm sure – you will be watching preseason games and find yourself saying, stop comparing him to Ray Rice. He's not Ray Mm -hmm. Rice, but it's hard not to make the physical comparison when you look at them, especially from the pictures that I've seen of him in his Baltimore Ravens jersey. He he looks physically a lot like Ray Rice. He's low to the ground. He's a 5'8 guy, kind of a little bowling ball. I like Beatty a lot, and Mr. Britt Sanders at the FF Sandman on Twitter um, is the guy who was probably the biggest Tyler Beatty stand going into the actual NFL draft. It's due to the fact that you you don't have a fluke season in the SEC typically, and you definitely don't have a pushing 2,000 yards from scrimmage season in the SEC and have the huevos to call it a fluke season. Um, it's one of those things where, yes, it happened as a true senior, as a fourth-year producer, and he did middling to average running back work before that, but it's really hard to ignore what he did last year, and he did get drafted to a team that likes explosive runners, which is exactly what Tyler Beatty is. Um, He's low ground, little bowling ball. He's better than Justice Hill was as a prospect coming out and realistically should stick on the roster longer than what we've seen Justice Hill stick on the roster, which is probably too long for most Baltimore fans. But 
when you're looking at the team as a whole, I like Kohler, honestly, to replace Nick Boyle at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a guy that I comped a lot to Hunter Henry. He's not going to wow you with literally anything that you do, but he was the most consistent tight end in the entire class going into this draft, basically. He was the only tight end out of the entire class to have three seasons which was like the benchmark because all the tight ends that came out were either juniors or seniors, um, three seasons of 600 receiving yards and five touchdowns. He had it every single year of his career. So it's really hard not to like that production coming from a big 12 school. But I think you're right. Isaiah likely probably profiles more as a wide receiver option. The thing that concerns me about likely as it concerns a lot of people prior to the draft. And now he hasn't gotten faster and homie was running a four, eight, when he was getting clocked with his 40 and that was when he had his buddies clocking him. So that's where my concern comes with likely. Um, he is a slower Brevin Jordan, which is saying something because Brevin Jordan ran a four seven. So it, it's just one of those things where it's hard for me to get super into him. This is a team that screams. They're going to sign someone else. Um, They're going to bring in a Julio. They're going to bring in a Will Fuller, that type of option. Even if they think, that they may be able to go into camp without them. Uh, I I don't know how they go into this offseason without acquiring another player. I I mean, do you have any do you have any free agent wide receivers that are still out there that aren't like namestays that you would be okay with them like signing or think that they might be able to bring in? Boy, oh boy. I mean, yeah. Besides, you know, the three names that pop into my mind are Julio and um, you mentioned we both mentioned Fuller and I said T Y Hilton. I mean, that's just because of the names. I I. I don't know that there's anybody else really being talked about. Those are the those are the three names. No real intel that people seem to have. Just like, hey, those are the guys that are still out there. We haven't we haven't heard from, and that would fit the profile at minimum. I think you need to bring somebody in just as a threat and be like, oh gosh, you got you got Julio Jones on the field. We got to cover him. You know, you might not have to cover Prochet. So, um, you know, I think you got to bring in one of those guys. I don't think there's going to be a ton of balls going their way if you do bring them in that's the other thing we really didn't say when we talked about Beatty's upside this year the upside is going to be we're going to be running the ball all the time again so (laughs) that that pure Greg Roman running style offense is coming back we did pass a lot last year as you said even before Mm -hmm. Lamar went out because of the running back issues and then after Lamar went out because we were behind in in a lot of the games and so there was Mm -hmm. a lot more passing last year then there's likely going to be this year. Got rid of Hollywood Brown, brought in Tyler Linderbaum to be a more athletic center. Um, our offensive line is getting a little healthier, hopefully a lot healthier than it was last year. And uh, um, I think we're going to see not only Lamar run a bunch, but you know all the running backs. And with Dobbins and Gus Edwards coming back from those serious ACL injuries, you're going to have to have a Beatty and maybe even a Mike Davis be there to, to run. So I think there's going to be a ton of carries. I think you also have, it's hard to call Lamar a sleeper and I'm not doing that, but I think Uh as far as a top, you know, the top five, six, seven dynasty quarterbacks, he's being underrated because he could easily have number one upside on any given year. You said you talked about Burrow earlier being overrated and he's going before Lamar in many, you know, startup dynasty drafts. I think that's crazy. Yeah. That's blasphemous for me. I just, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get on the Joe Burrow train, but yeah, Lamar, Lamar is still the same guy and 
plot twist, all of this insecurity that we're feeling about his longevity in the NFL and all that jazz because he's a running quarterback and it's the first time we saw him injured. As soon as he signs that contract, it's going away. No one's going <laughs> to no bring it up. There's going to be like, wow, look at this rushing floor. Look at the 600 yards every year, right. that type of thing. But yeah, um, Memphis is the one that brought this one up. But I think T.Y. Hilton makes a lot of sense for you guys because you lost a deep threat in Marquise Brown. Um, say what you will about Lamar's deep accuracy, but he has a propensity to kind of make those deep target throws when he decides to actually sling it and kind of throw more regularly. Um, so it kind of fits that same mold. T.Y. isn't washed. He was fully fine. He's just not mm-hmm. the wide receiver one T.Y. Hilton that we all came to love and, you know, adore. Um, and the Ravens um, actually were in conversation with him, I think, the year before last, before he yeah. decided to ultimately go back to Indianapolis at the last minute. So we definitely have a connection there and have wanted to bring him in um, fairly recently. So wouldn't be surprised if we go back to that well. Yeah, and when it comes from like injuries of the last couple of years, he's been pretty healthy. He's way less injury prone than a Julio Jones or Will Fuller is. Um, it would, I mean, it would be great. There's a lot of teams out there that could use the services of Emmanuel Sanders because he still looks like he's freaking prime Emmanuel Sanders. But in all reality, he's probably retired. He hasn't announced it yeah. yet, but all of the news over the last like six months has been he's been basically not working out, not doing anything to keep himself truly in football shape. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know who you guys are going to bring in. I'm still hoping the Bears bring in one of these guys too. So we're kind of yeah. in the same boat with our receiving options. You guys have a better run game than us and a better quarterback at this current moment. So we're, we're, we're pretty decent parallels. Um, you guys can rest on your defense a little bit better, I guess. There's some question marks is what I would say probably at your outside linebacker. Because um, didn't they move – no, sorry, your inside. Didn't they move – Patrick Queen to the Sam. Isn't he playing the Sam? Or is he yeah, playing the Yeah, he was he was towards the end of last year. So, you know, we've definitely got the we've definitely got talent on the defense yeah. and brought in a ton of talent even more in the off, uh, you know, in the offseason between between the draft and free agency and the guys that hopefully will be coming back healthy like, you know, Marlon Humphrey and Peters, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it just so many now, you know, with the injury history there that we have to have folks stay healthy and, you know, be able to kind of get at it there. But I'm very confident in, you know, what we've built up. And you just can't – you can't imagine, knock on wood, that, you know, we'll have as much – I think they said it was like the worst injury luck of any team in like, you yeah. know, the past decade or something. So you you can't assume you're going to have that much bad luck again. Anything could happen. But, you know, feel much better about the regression to to a healthier mean this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you. I mean, you. When it comes from an IDP standpoint, everyone knows that's listened to me before. I'm an IDP guy, uh, true and through. But you guys have a sleeping monster in Odafe Owe, who's just waiting to destroy some teams because mm-hmm. he was not getting a lot of the snap shares for some reason. Still last year, and I don't know if it was a conditioning standpoint or what. But it seemed like every time he was on the field, he was getting hurries. He was getting quarterback pressures. It was wild. Do you have any take on uh, him specifically or any of the yeah, younger guys, you guys? Yeah, everybody. I mean, everybody's looking for year two for Owe. So I think he's going to be a beast. And then it's not going to be this year with David Ajabo, you know, but we got him in the second round. Huge value pick there yeah. for the Ravens. And it's, you know, it's the rate, it's the, um, 
his former defensive coach, uh, Mike McDonald. I get him and the Dolphins head coach mixed up. But anyway, McDaniel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, McDaniel is down there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's his old defensive coach from Michigan. And of course the Harbaugh brothers connection there from Michigan to the Ravens. Now he's coming to play with, um, you know, with him, with um, McDonald, who moved to the Ravens to be our defensive coordinator. And also he and Owe, I guess, I don't know, they grew up together or some some such connection that they have. So starting in next year to have a Jabo and Owe together might be a big um, might be a big combo there. So. Yeah, I mean, they're from prospect profiles from year in to year out. They're pretty much identical prospects over the last two years that play the same type of raw athleticism type of pass rushing role. Odafe was able to solidify his ability to learn this first season and actually grew quite a bit as the year progressed. Um, you hope that Ojabo is basically able to work on his technique all offseason. Right, right as he's recovering from the injury. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. You guys are just continuing to stack and recycle. It always helps that you guys never truly have to pay your defensive linemen because you always have two to three guys just waiting in the wings. But the team in general is interesting. Do you have any, uh, we kind of chatted about it before. You have any UDFAs you want to tell the people about that you're intrigued about on the offense? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, you know, it's, it's really anybody from wide receiver could step up, right? Because we have no real wide receiver depth. So I, I had mentioned Devin Williams, you know, who was uh, started, I think, at USC his career and then transferred to Oregon. Um, and then we picked him up in, you know, after the draft. So he's been getting a little bit of, you know, press after the mini camps saying he looked good, et cetera. But again, the odds of him or any one of those guys even making the team are pretty long. But if they do, again, you have all the options in the world. You could step up day one and be the number two wide receiver because, you know, it's Prochet and Devin Duvernay in front of you. Um, once again, no offense to those to those fine gentlemen. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I like Williams, or he would be the one I mentioned. I know you had a different one that um, that you had mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at the wide receiver three and wide receiver four position right now, you like we talked about, you have James Prochet and Tylen Wallace. Um, two names that were intriguing when they were coming out, but really haven't done anything for the team since they've been drafted. I look at a guy like Mackay Polk. Um, he was a transfer from Cal, um, was underutilized his freshman year and then got injured his second year, ends up transferring after his COVID injury year to Mississippi State and just kind of blows up for Mississippi State. Um, he's six foot four, 215 pounds, ran a four, five forty at the combine, had a 20, uh, 20 plus percent target share last year with Mississippi State with 105 receptions for over 1,100 yards and nine receiving touchdowns. And that was a true junior in the first total year, basically, that it was actually targeted like an actual wide receiver should be. So when you're looking at the production in the SEC, the transfer in on a team that had a lot of weapons in Mississippi State to throw the ball to, he was able to make a name for himself such that he thought it was a good idea to come out. Yes, he went as a UDFA, but when I look at his overall prospect profile and kind of that size, deep threat ability that he brings to the table that we've talked about a couple of times for the Baltimore Ravens here, fits it pretty well. Um, I enjoy him as a player. His tape was pretty fun to watch, and he's a guy I'm pretty interested to see how he goes through the preseason and training camp vibes to see kind of uh, if he does make the 53-man roster. Yeah, and you mentioned Tylen Wallace. We forgot all of, or I forgot all about him, and mm -hmm. and and that tells you something because yeah. <laughs> again, you have all the opening in the world for him or anyone to step up. He was, a, I think, a fourth rounder last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So he had some, 
you know, it's not the very end of the draft or anything. And he, he basically got no run last year because he couldn't break in. This year in, in the offseason, he's still playing behind um, Duvernay and Prochet. So that's mm-hmm. not a good sign. Um, and it just doesn't seem, you know, from reading those tea leaves that he's going to be one that's going to be able to step up and be relied on as we, you know, had uh, some of the more reliable guys like Hollywood Brown move out. So I don't have a lot of faith in Wallace, even as a deep sleeper. Yeah. I mean, his athleticism tanking uh, was pretty well on par with like what a Kyron Williams did this year. He was pretty much last year's Kyron Williams where everyone was expecting him to be fast, do well. He was extremely shifty in the big 12 blew up for Oklahoma state two successive years in a row comes out. And what does he do? He puts up stinker combine numbers, falls in the draft and then just gets drafted by potentially like the worst passing offense going into last off season in the league. So it's interesting to see. There's a lot of open positions at the wide receiver position, kind of like we chatted about to where there's a lot of names that could end up falling into position and being productive for your fantasy teams this off season. It's just hard to tell whether or not that's going to be one of the rookie tight ends, whether or not that's going to be a, you know, a change of pace where Greg Moman's like, you know what, let's throw it to this, uh, this rookie running back 60 times this year. Let's see, let's get wild, see what happens. Or if it's going to be a UDFA, a random free agent that they add late, um, it's interesting, but we fall back on the true tried statement of you should probably just lean on Lamar Jackson and not worry about uh-huh. the other pieces right yes. now. Yes, uh, that's right. That's kind of how the team rolls. Everyone knows it rolls through him and he's going to get you those touchdowns every single week. So, uh, it's interesting to see how this whole division honestly shapes up. It was the one that kind of flipped on its head last year, more than most of the other divisions did. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the new world order for the AFC North or if it is just kind of a fluke year in 2021. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. But, Brian, it, it's been great having you on, man. I, I always like getting people that are passionate about their teams on here to chat about them. Uh, I'm excited to see what your Baltimore Ravens do, and I'm more excited to talk about some more divisions coming up in the next couple of weeks. But once again, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Let them know about the Patreon if you want to, just how everything goes here at the DWZ Network, and then we'll just go ahead and sign off for the deal. Yeah, no, again, at Brian Smith 33 on Twitter. And definitely, um, you know, if you're uh, getting into Dynasty more or big Dynasty fan, definitely join the, the Patreon. It is uh, just a great group chat where, you know, everybody, especially the offseason, it's just a bunch of crazy um, stuff and 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 you know, check-ins on where people are going in the drafts or just ideas. If you want to see if you're crazy about how you value a trade or value a player, just drop something in the, the group chat there. And that's the most valuable feedback you probably get. Um, not to mention the, the uh, periodic um, member podcast that you'll hear in addition to these, these mm-hmm. fine ones over on the main channel. So <laughs> definitely appreciate that. And, you know, if you're looking to join more leagues, that's a great way to get in as well. Not only the Patreon leagues, but just leagues that people are starting up that, you know, that you interact with. So definitely happy to have in- encountered, you know, you guys and, and Dallas, your your show and listen to a ton of, of your rookie stuff and just try to absorb all that and definitely uh, appreciate being on to, to chat with you about my Ravens and the rest of that. Sorry division. 
<laughs> yeah, no, uh, some of my podcasts, especially the ones where I'm by myself, will be very information heavy, where I just sit there and uh, make myself hoarse, basically talking for 45 minutes straight with a lot of numbers. So it's hard to digest. But yeah, um, like he was saying, if you have a trade question or something like that and you drop it in the Patreon chat, it's not like on Twitter where you just get a vote on the poll. Uh, you're going to have 40 people telling you why you're either right or wrong about it in the Patreon. So you get some true like visceral feedback, which is pretty nice. Plus, as he said, you get a lot of Patreon own um made content and there you get extra podcasts from the dwz crew and you get the opportunity to hop on a podcast like my man brian smith here so people this has been the afc north episode we have officially knocked out the first year forecasting for the rookies and as well as a lot of the changes in this afc north division until next week have a wonderful time when we add up all those inches that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing game yesterday and if we win one today that's two in a row we win one tomorrow that's called a winning streak